Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. So, anyways, last week, uh, we are in a series called The Church. I'm going to get into the Word of God at this time. If you have not been here, we have been looking at the book of 1 Timothy and a little bit of 2 Timothy. We are in this series looking at God's church. And last week, we were encouraged and challenged to not be ashamed of the gospel message. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul writes this letter to to a young man by the name of Timothy, hence that's why the book is called Timothy. You may or may not know that, but it's called Timothy because the letter was written to a Timothy. And Timothy uh, was, he was mentored by Paul, and there's a spot within Timothy's life that Paul recognizes. Timothy was starting to become a little bit ashamed of the gospel. He was starting to draw back a little bit from being bold in the gospel, and maybe that was because of Paul's life, because Paul had been in prison for much of his later years of life, and maybe, you know, being linked to somebody in prison can make, kind of make you pull back. I also talked about how Nero was in charge at the time, and there were some horrendous deaths taking place amongst God's people, feeding them to lions, burning them alive, and, and Timothy, he, he's aware of all of this. Well, Paul writes this letter to him. In 2 Timothy, and he challenges Timothy, Timothy, we're not ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me either. You know, culturally, there's some stigmas. But he's like, don't be ashamed of this gospel. And we are reminded in 2 Timothy verses 1, 8 through 10. I want to give us a quick recap here. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then verse 10, which is now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This gospel message that the church has been carrying on for the last 2,000 years, it literally says it abolished death. It brought life and immortality to the men and women who come to faith in Christ. Well, I want us to be jumping back to 1 Timothy, and I want us to be looking at the Word of God this morning. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to ask for you to stand this morning as we read the Word of God. The words will be on the screen as well, out of honor and respect to our Lord. 1 Timothy 4, starting in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God 
and prayer. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of, of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irrelevant and silly myths. Rather, train yourselves in godliness. For, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. Verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Let us pray. Father, we come to you today, Lord. We come looking to your word. Father, I thank you that we can gather and worship and declare who you are this morning. But Father, as we look to your word, Lord, come and, and soften our heart to your word today. Father, I desire to see your church be a church that honors you, that loves you. Father, I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated this morning here. Today we're looking at probably one of the most difficult teachings and some of the most difficult words within the New Testament here. We are going to see a very strong warning to the church. And I will probably say this is probably one of, of the strongest language and warnings that we see within the New Testament here. And I love to go through this verse by verse. In 1 Timothy 4.1, God says this. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says, that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, that phrase, in later times, we, we don't really know exactly what that, what that length of time is. Does that mean within a few years, within five years, within a hundred years? But Paul is writing this, and he is saying, listen, there's going to become a time in, in, in later times, possibly in the time that he is penning this, this letter. We know that this is not in the end times, because if it would have been, he would have been using the term in the last days. But he says, as time goes on, in later times, there's going to come to a point where these men and women will depart from the faith. Now, that's just some really strong language there, and many people kind of wonder, like, well, what is he talking about here? He's saying that there is men and women who were a part of the faith, but they left it. Now, some people, they, there's been arguments throughout human history. Well, how is that possible? Is that possible? I'm not here to debate that. I'm here to say what the Word of God says is that in the later times, there's going to be men and women who are going to depart from the faith. And why are they departing? It's not just because they showed up on Sunday and they couldn't find a parking spot. It wasn't because the coffee was too cold. It wasn't because of external reasonings. They were departing from the faith, from what the Word of God says, is because by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and to teachings of demons. This type of language we don't really use in modern day. I don't think you've ever, me, myself included, ever had a conversation where you're like, yeah, so-and-so is... They've departed from the faith, and someone asked, why? Well, they've been listening to demons. 
right? Like, like this type of language we just don't even really talk about within today's cultural context. But here, Paul, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy as this strong warning. Timothy, there, in later times, there's going to be men and women who are going to leave the faith because they have devoted themselves to the teaching of deceitful spirits and to the teachings of demons. And in verse 2, he says this, he says, through insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared. NASB says it this, this way here, by the means of hypocrisy of liars, that there's going to be men and women in the faith that are going to be listening to outside teachings. These teachings are not from God. They are straight from the pits of hell. They're from the demons. And they are going to deliberately forsake the faith in Christ. And they knew better. They understood this. But their conscience became seared. And we're not going to go down that road there. I, I would absolutely love to. We could turn to Romans 1. And there's, there is, there's many Bible verses that talks about at some point in time when men and women are walking in sin, God just simply hands them over to it. You want to live a life of deceitfulness and of sin, God is just going to turn you loose on that and your conscience will and does and can become seared. But we're not going to go down that path there. But look at what the problem is, is that these men and women were devoting themselves to these demonic spirits and to false teachings. And what were they teaching? Look at verse 3. Who forbid marriage... And require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, these words might seem kind of odd to you. What do you mean? So there's these people, they're teaching, they're listening to these demonic spirits, and these spirits are telling them you can't ever marry. And what's up with this food situation? Like, are we just... What are they teaching here? Well, it is interesting because at this time, there was some different sects within the Jewish faith that actually believed what Paul is addressing here. They were teaching men and women, you should not get married. Marriage is not good, is what they were basically teaching. And they were saying it's wrong. You, as believers, should not be getting married. Now, they might have reference, and this is where some of the scholars get a little bit, a little bit confused here, because Paul, in 1 Corinthians, gives a warning. Hey, listen, it's better not to get married. And he says that in the means of, because then men and women can fully devote themselves to the kingdom of God, and they won't be having two different priorities, which is true. But Paul even says this is for a select few. This isn't, this isn't for all of God's people. It's like these people forgot that God ordained marriage. From the very beginning, you read the word of God from the very beginning to the end, marriage is part of God's plan. Now, there are some men and women who are called not to be married. They have no desire to be married, and that's okay. But these people were making it. A requirement. You want to be a part of God's kingdom? You can't marry. Also, you have to abstain from, from certain foods. You're not allowed to eat certain foods. And Paul, he, he is addressing this. He's like, do we forget? 
In verse 4, for everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. But he's given this warning to the church that, that there is going to be men and women. They have left the faith. They're no longer a part of the faith. They're gone because they turned themselves over. They devoted themselves to these teachings. And some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, what's the big deal? I mean, you know, in the Old Testament, there is food requirements. If anyone of you has ever read the Old Testament, there is food requirements in the Old Testament. And there are many people today that go down that road and say, hey, I don't eat certain foods because of what God says in the Old Testament. This verse contradicts that, that way of life. But it is true if you follow the Old Testament ways of eating, it's very, very healthy. You know, the Old Testament warns us about, about eating bottom feeders. You know what, what, what pigs eat? Everything. Literally anything. You could give them anything and they will consume it. And, and in the Old Testament, there is this warning. Listen, this stuff is, is unclean. But the New Testament clearly makes it that God created all things and it kind of he reminds us of Genesis that in the beginning God created it and said that it was good. And Paul here says, listen, give thanks, give praise to God, give thanks and consume. But the real issue here, church, is not just the food requirements or their idea that men and women should not be getting married. I mean, I mean, really, really think about that. What if everyone stopped getting married? We're one generation away from like death. Right? Like, like, say, if there's no marriage, there's no procreation, there's no life afterwards, right? It's like, it's, this is like insanity teachings here. But the real issue is not so much their, their little rules that they set up. The real issue is that these people have fallen into this idea of legalism. You might be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor, I mean... It seems okay. I mean, these people sound like they just want to live holy lives, and they sound like they're just trying to do what is right here, but they're not. The problem here that is taking place in the church back then is that men and women are turning themselves over to legalism. Now, legalism, I got a very simple definition for you that I would like to read this morning. Legalism is the conviction that law-keeping is now, after the fall, is the grounds of our acceptance with God. I'm going to say that again. Legalism is the conviction that law-keeping is the grounds of our acceptance with God. It's the grounds that men and women stand on, on that they're right with God by what they do. Someone is trying to be justified. Someone is trying to be made right before God by a list of rules. And like I said, you might be wondering, well, what is the big deal here? It, this is a very big deal within God's church. I can't even express how big of a deal this is within the New Testament. It's men and women saying, I did X, Y, and Z, so now God accepts me. Or, I didn't do this, I didn't sin, I didn't lie, I didn't murder, so now God accepts me on these terms. Paul says, you're falling away. You've departed from the faith. 
Harsh words, extremely harsh. But the reason is, is because these men and women are becoming gods themselves. They are saying, I can be justified before God on my terms. That I can somehow do it on my own. I can be made right before God by what I do. If I don't do this, I'm good. If I do this, well, I kind of slipped up. And and guys, this this is within the culture that we live in. We we all simply know this. But it's also, this creeps into the church often. That men and women start to believe that, hey, I can become made right. You know, like, 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 I got my little list made up. And, you know, I, I didn't lie to my boss today, so that's, you know, so that's check. And, um, you know, well, I, I, I wasn't sleeping with anyone this week, so that's, a, that's a, a pretty positive check right there. And it's this idea that you can be made right with God by your own actions. And Paul is addressing this very, very harshly, saying, listen, these people are no longer a part of the faith. They left it. And, in fact, that type of mindset, that type of teaching— is from the demons. It's straight from hell, basically. It's wrong. It's completely wrong. And he's using such strong language here. But the real issue is, a legalistic person, it's attitude. This is what can be the most terrible thing within a church and within God's people. See, when someone starts to believe that they are justified by what they do before God, they believe others have to be justified by what they do. You want to be right with God? You better do this. You better get circumcised is what the entire book of Galatians addresses, that there was people making this requirement. Paul says, absolutely not. You want to get right with God? Well, you better start eating bananas. You better not get married. It's just like, just fill in the list. You want to get right? Well, you better start doing this. And since these people are so good at judging themselves, and they seem to become very good at judging others, because they start to look at other people in this light too. Well, if, in order for me to become right, i got to just start doing this. i gotta, I got to really just get my act together if I'm going to ever become right with God. So then they start to project that upon other people. If you want to get right with God, you better start doing this. And it is the absolute worst teaching. You want to be far away from God and from what his word expresses? Have that mindset. I'm telling you, it is. Jesus addresses it constantly with the Pharisees. Just read the entire New Testament It is constantly getting addressed. These men and women who are trying to be justified by their works, it's so far the opposite of what God's Word teaches. Jesus shares a story in Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. He shares this parable of what this looked like. How does legalism play out within people's lives? Look at Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. It says this. It's going to be on the screen here, too. He also told this parable to some, look at this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Just read that real quick. Jesus is sharing a parable. There are some people who trusted in themselves. And Jesus says, let me give you a quick parable on this. And they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And it says, and they treated others with contempt. Contempt. 
someone who trusted in themselves, and this, this idea of treated them with contempt. They treated them as like they're better than these other sinners. In verse 10, here's the parable. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Stop right there. I just want to just give you a quick mindset. Pharisee, a religious person, someone who should and, you know, one of those holy men, right? And the other, a tax collector. You might be thinking, tax collector, who cares? Tax collectors within this society, terrible human beings. They were stealing money constantly, right? Like, plus they worked for the Romans, not good. So Jesus gives this parable. Religious man, sinner. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. You can visualize this, church. These men are in church, they're standing there, and this guy, he's standing far off. He won't even sit next to the sinners, right? And he says, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his, his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The legalistic person, he knew what to say. I will just point that one out. He knew that when he comes into the presence, into the sanctuary, I thank God. He, he, he had that line down. But what you see play out is his attitude and his heart towards others. Well, I'm justified by what I do. I'm not like that tax collector up there. I'm a good person. That person's not a good person. Why am I such a good person? Well, because I'm, I'm not an adulterer, and I haven't lied, and I haven't stealed, and I, I can look to my list of rules that I have been obeying so well, which we all know that he probably didn't really obey those rules so well, but they're blind. Legalistic people are completely blind to their own sin, but they're well aware of someone else's sin, right? Like, it's, it, it's just hilarious how this plays out, but... The legalistic person, this one scholar said this that I think is so fitting. He said, it is the spirit and the life, this is about a legalistic person, it is the spirit and the life that flows from a failure to be humbled, broken, amazed, and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. A legalistic person is someone whose spirit in the life that flows from a failure to be humbled, broken, amazed, and satisfied by the grace of God in Christ. A legalistic person is not satisfied by God's grace upon their lives. It is like saying, God's grace is good. They can probably even like share that. God's grace is good but a legalistic person says God's grace is not good enough. I got to do a little bit more. 
God's grace can only carry me so far, and then i got to take myself across that finish line. And Paul clearly says they have fallen from the faith because they are not satisfied by God's grace. They have departed. They are leaning on their own ability to be justified. I need to share a few verses to remind us of what God's word says. Romans 3.20 For by the works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Galatians 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. But how? But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. He reminds us again, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I don't want anyone falling away from faith. Legalism will get you there very, very quickly. It truly will, because, because what you are, like what I said, what you are ultimately doing is you are now placing you as God because you have the ability to somehow become made right before the creator of the universe. And God's word says it's not, it's not about by you keeping this, this law. No one can keep this law. No one did. No one has. We've all fallen short. Bible's very, very clear. Mankind falls short. So why are we still trying to be justified by what we do? We are justified through faith. It's by God's grace upon our lives. It happens through faith in the Son, Jesus. It's us looking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are my righteousness. I'm not. I can't be made right before you, God, by what I do. I can't do it. You can show up to Woodland Church every single Sunday. You can give a little bit of money into the offering. You can give out a couple of smiles and a couple of like, you know, friendly handshakes. And you might be, be, be sitting there saying, you know what, I had a great day. I, I went to church. I listened to some different words. I'm feeling good about myself today. That's not how men and women are justified before God. And in the church back then, this teaching had crept in. And Paul is giving us such a strong warning. He's saying, listen, this is, this is really not good. We are only made right before God. It's by grace upon our lives through faith in, in the Son, Jesus. We have to remind ourselves, church, that we don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to our own righteousness. We truly don't. I've been pondering this all week. as I've been, I've been thinking about this, and especially that phrase, to be satisfied by God's grace. Are God's people really satisfied by the grace upon their lives? Like, do we really look at, at God's grace and what he did on the cross through his death and resurrection, and when God's word says you are made right before me, not by you, but by what Jesus has done, are we satisfied by his grace? Or do we sometimes think, I have to do more? We have to get rid of that, of that mindset. It's not a, I have to. We get to. We should want to. But it's not a have to. It's not a guilt-driven faith. Guilt-driven faith is legalistic. It's falling back to the law. But it's us being completely satisfied in his grace upon our lives. And saying, God, your grace truly is enough for me. And as I've been just, just pondering this, I had a couple of nights where I really 
wasn't really sleeping that well because I was thinking about this, but I was also thinking about I got a brother, um, which a couple years ago you guys prayed for. He had like a massive heart attack. Then his son died, and uh, my brother has just lived a very, very hard life. I've, I haven't seen him or even talked to him for 30-some years. He's, um, he's, he, he's really not doing well. He's been in and out of prison. Uh, he was a drug addict, um, selling drugs, doing drugs. Um, that type of lifestyle leads to just more pain and more suffering. He's, he, he's been beat many, many times. He's almost died from just getting, you know, when you... When you don't pay your drug dealer, uh, they, they're not like, like uh, church people. I got some grace for you here, brother. You know, the, there's consequences there, and uh, it's not good. And I've been thinking about my brother because I found out this past week that my brother's dying. Um, he's got stage 4 cancer in his throat, and um, he's 55. He's lived a very, very hard life. And I just found out from my dad last week that uh, he's, he doesn't have a whole lot of time to live. And to top it off, um, because of his lifestyle and choices, um, he's living in a tent outside of Traverse City. And I'm sitting there thinking, and I was thinking about my brother, who has probably burned a lot of bridges. When you're a drug addict, you burn bridges. That's just what you do. And here he is, living in a tent, getting ready to die, and I was thinking about God's grace upon his life. I was thinking, God, your grace is good enough for him. Society deems as undesirable, right? Like society, throw him out, live in the woods, we don't care. But does God care? Does God love him? Does God desire for him to be in his kingdom with him? The answer is yes. The answer is absolutely 100% yes. God desires even the worst of the worst. Because it's not about being justified by our works. It's about God's grace upon his life. So as I was staying up and praying for him and thinking about this, something kind of hit me. I realized this should have been obvious years ago or maybe even earlier. I should probably call my brother. Right? Like, so like, like, so like, I understand this grace. I want to live out being completely satisfied in it. I got to tell him about this grace. So I uh, called my dad. Dad, what's uh, Steve's, Steve, Steve Jr.'s phone number? My dad's like, well, he's living in the woods still, and he may or may not have his phone charged, but somehow he has a phone charge. I don't know if he goes into town, charges it. So I called him up on Friday, and I'm like, Steve. It's your adopted stepbrother. It's a weird family dynamics. I'm not going to explain all that, but we're not from the, the same parents. But anyways, I said, Steve, it's your brother, Jeff. Jeff, he's got this rascally voice. You can just hear. Apparently, he's lost 100 pounds. He's just, you know, how's it going? And he was, you know, thank you so much for calling. And we had a little bit of chit-chat. Obviously, we got to, you know, kind of, you know, I kind of made the mistake because I kind of forgot in mid-sentence, like, yeah, so uh, where are you living these days? Ah, you know, in a tent. You know, I knew that, but I, you know, anyways, but I'm talking with them, and guys, you know what is really, really amazing? When someone's dying, it is the easiest time to share the gospel. There is e easy avenues to that conversation. So I just plainly asked him, Steve, 
You're dying. How do you feel about this? What do you think about this? Your days are numbered, and you know it. What are you thinking? He didn't really have, ah, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to be making peace about it all. And he shared with me, he goes, you know, I, I feel like my life has kind of been like Job. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, you've had a difficult life. Your son just died two years ago from a drug overdose. You've been in and out of prison. You have had a difficult life. And I, I just shared with him very, very frankly. I said, Steve, I'm calling you. One, because we haven't talked in 30-some years. My bad. I should have called you. Oh, I should have called you too. Okay. Well, let me tell you, because you're getting ready to meet your creator. I told him firmly, you, you are going to be meeting him. This is a guaranteed. Death and taxes, guaranteed. And when death comes, the creator comes. And I said, how do you feel about standing before the Lord God Almighty? Well, I, I just don't know. I said, well, well, let me tell you what his son has done for you. Let me share with you the most amazing news that anyone has ever shared with me. That this Jesus loves you. That this Jesus died for your sins. That you can't be made right before God any other way than through his son Jesus. And the conversation continued. He said, well, you know, I kind of believe in God, and I kept bringing it back because it, it's truly all about what Christ has done. It's not just about believing in God. It's about believing in his one and only son, and I just kept bringing it back. And I don't know, he did not give his life to the Lord right then and there, but, but the relationship started. And I don't know if I'm going to have to go find him in the woods down there. I told him, you know, I, I just said, Steve, you know, I want you to know how much um, I love you. I want to see you finish well on this side of heaven. And I'm telling you, it's the only way is through Christ and through his grace that he has for your life. And we ended up talking for 25 minutes. He, was, he seemed grateful that I even reached out to him because I know he's burned a lot, a lot, a lot of bridges. And I got, I got no fight in this game, right? Like, say, he hasn't, you know... He hasn't burned any bridges with me. I haven't talked to him in 30-some years. But I wanted him to, to understand and know that this grace for God is sufficient upon his life. And I think us, church, we need to realize that, that God's grace is sufficient for us. You don't have to do something to be made right with him. It's not about what you do to be justified. Now, because of time, we're going to talk about the next verses next week about what God has now called us to, but we have to really, really grasp that. It's not Jesus plus fill in some sort of works of righteousness. It's not that. It's Jesus only. Jesus has made you right. All we have to do is lean on him. Jesus, you did it all for me. Jesus, I trust you. I trust what you have done. Jesus, my faith is in you. My faith is not in me. The legalistic person puts faith in themselves. The righteous stand before God because they put faith in the Son. And we have to keep that as a forefront, church family. I don't want us to ever get down a path where, where, where possibly men and women come in here. Hey, welcome to Woodland Church. We, we love you here, but, but uh, here's what you have to do today to be made right before God. 
You better stop swearing right now. Or you won't, be, or you won't be made right. I'm telling you, you won't be. You better be sitting up front too because holy people, they sit up front, right? Thank you guys. Thank you for sitting up front here. We can't ever have that mindset. We can't even let that creep into us. We don't treat people based off of what they do or don't do. We have to remind ourselves it's God's grace upon our lives. And my prayer is that we would be a church that's fully satisfied with God's grace. Jesus, you did it all. It's nothing from me. It is all from you. I want us to stand and, and uh, we're going to sing a song declaring God's grace this morning. As the worship team comes, I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing and then we'll end up praying over offering at the end here. But I want to pray that we would be satisfied. Father God, we come to you, Lord. Father, you have grace for all of mankind. Your grace is enough for me. Father, I'm reminded of Paul's words in Corinthians now as I pray, Lord, how Paul was struggling with something in his life and you told him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Jesus, help us to be satisfied as a church, as your people, in your grace. And help us to live that out to others around us. Help us not to, not to see people as good and bad and evil and wicked, but help us to realize that, that you have a grace for mankind for their lives. Father, we are justified by what you have done. Remind us of that this week. And like I said, Father, help us to be fully satisfied with you and what you've done for us. Help us not to, to be living in guilt and shame. But Father, help us to know that we are made right by what you have done. Father, we praise you this morning. We love you. Lord, as we worship now, come and speak to us. Remind us of this amazing grace that you have for us. Father, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.